you can explain what is going on, then God isn't doing it. Uh, those, are, those are words uh, spoken to me by uh, the late Warren Wearsby. He actually heard these words from uh, a ministry friend of his by the name of Bob Cook. And some of you, uh, you know, maybe in the older generation, might that name Bob Cook may sound familiar. He was, uh, uh, him and, him and uh, Warren Wearsby were, were ministry partners in Youth for Christ. But if you can explain what is going on, then God isn't doing it. Now, I think we need to understand exactly what these two men were fighting against when they say this phrase. This, uh, this pithy saying is, is you know, the, the tendency for Christians, or Christians have the tendency of independency. So we have the tendency not to depend on God. We have the tendency just to trust in our own strength, to trust in our own ways, to trust in our own programs, and our own money, and our own power. And we have the tendency not to depend on God. And many in here this morning, all of us this morning, we constantly face the struggle of the temptation to not depend on God and when instead to be independent. If you can explain what's going on, then God isn't doing it. Often the lack of dependency on God could explain many things. Uh, a lack of dependency on God could explain our poor effort or little effort or minimal effort into the study of God's word. Lack of dependency on God can explain why so often our prayers are short, hurried, broad, and often frustrating. It could explain why we don't lead our family in times of worship. It could explain why we don't show hospitality to unbelievers and those who don't know Jesus It could explain why we ask the things of this world to get us through suffering and through the wilderness instead of trusting in our God. And with this in mind, I want us to turn to our passage this morning. Perhaps you're already there, but it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. As we, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I heard somebody say 2nd, there we go. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, verses 1 to 5. As we are, we're getting ready, we're just a few weeks away from concluding our series uh, titled Living, Waiting, and Enduring for Jesus. And we find ourselves this morning in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, where Paul says this, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead or run ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. So with the word finally here, Paul is going to, he's getting ready to share some practical things that are still on his mind when it comes to the end of this letter. And in fact, he's really getting ready to conclude the letter. But he starts with asking uh, for prayer for himself. He starts with some prayer requests on how he wanted them to pray for him and his ministry. And then, and then, I don't know if you caught it as we read this, but kind of in the middle, he very abruptly kind of switches. And he goes from asking prayer for himself and his ministry and kind of turns the attention back on the church and to the Thessalonian readers. 
And we'll address on that in a moment. But these verses, these five verses, kind of set up what uh, Paul is uh, eventually going to talk about. And we'll get into this next week. But he's, these verses kind of set up Paul as he gets ready to kind of go after a very dominant sin within the church in Thessalonica. This message is titled, A Very Present Help in Trouble, because that's exactly what the Thessalonians were facing. They were facing troubles. They were troubled by false teachers and false teaching. They were troubled by opposition to the gospel, and they were being persecuted for the gospel. They were being troubled by their own sin. And yet, Paul is writing to them, and I hope as we read through this, there's, there's kind of a phrase that's, that jumps out over and over, and it's the phrase, the Lord. Pray for us that the, pray, I mean, even prayer right there is, a, is you know, there's, a, there's a obviously implied trusting in God here, but pray for us to the Lord, that the word of the Lord may spread, that we may be delivered from evil, wicked men. The Lord is faithful. He will establish you. We have confidence in the Lord that you are going to do what we say. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of Christ. So all through this, as, as, as Paul is now going to, to uh, continue to build on the fact that they're facing a number of troubles in a number of different ways, he's going to bring their attention to the Lord. Paul knew that whatever troubles he faced or whatever troubles the church faced, or we as Christians today face, we must rely on God to be our help. And just like that first quote that we mentioned earlier, if you can't explain what is going on, then God isn't doing it. Again, a phrase meant to really battle against this whole idea of self-sufficiency. This, this, uh, this idea of battling against the fact that we can say, well, I can be independent of God and be just fine on my own. Paul knew that we have to rely on our God to be our help. So this morning, we're going to look at, because God is faithful... We must depend on him in seven areas that we find in this passage. Because God is faithful, Christians, we must depend on him in these seven areas. Number one, prayer. Prayer. Now you might be thinking, now that sounds obvious enough, and maybe it even sounds simple enough. I mean, after all, isn't the very act of praying itself an evidence that we're depending on God? Well, maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Foundationally, and this all goes back to our theme of depending on God, foundationally, prayer should be done in an attitude of acceptance of God's purposes. So prayer that focuses on God accomplishing our purposes, detached from his purposes, isn't biblical dependence on God in prayer. And I think Paul teaches a couple different things about prayer uh, even in this passage in verse 1. First, he asks, he asks for prayer. I think by involving others in praying for him, he's teaching us that prayer is often what God uses to lighten the burden of others. Lighten the burden for others. Paul, Paul often asked people to pray for him that he would be delivered. He knew that through the prayer of the saints, it would perhaps God would grant deliverance or at least maybe lighten the burden that he faced. Paul himself was facing severe persecution, and he's asking others to pray for him because he knew everything depended on God. Now we could ask, well, if we pray to God and it all depends on God, why is Paul asking others to pray for him? I mean, isn't one prayer good enough? I mean, can't, I mean 
one prayer and God pretty much knows what we're asking, right? Why keep praying? Why involve other people in prayer? And we don't have like all the answers to that question, but Jesus himself actually gave a parable about, uh, in Luke chapter 18, he, he gave a parable about a persistent widow. And this widow goes to the judge and night after night, day after day, she's constantly begging out to this judge to, to give her justice. And Jesus gave this as a parable that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he concludes by saying this at the end of the parable. In Luke chapter 18, he says, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him, what? Not once, not twice, but day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? There's prayer and dependence right there. The prayer, crying out to him day and night, and then at the end, will he find faith? Will he find Christians who depend on him? And show their dependence on God, not just by praying one time, but by praying to him day and night. There are two things that hinder our prayers and hinder our dependence on God in prayer. First is, we may not really want God to accomplish his purposes in our lives. We may not really care for God to accomplish his purposes. And so we're satisfied and we're content just coasting through life. Letting whatever happens happen. I mean, after all, it is what it is. And so no reason to go to God for it. It is what it is. Another reason we may not depend on God in prayer is because we may not really truly depend on him. We may not have the faith that God will actually help us. Like the end of Luke chapter 18 at the end of that parable, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Why did he ask that right after giving this parable on a prayer about how we're supposed to keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying? Because it takes faith. It takes total and utter dependence on God to believe that he's actually going to help us. Maybe not in the way we want him to, but God is going to accomplish his purpose. So if we get, the, if we get, the, if we get, if we get number one right, where we're like, I want God to accomplish his purposes in my life, then the next will follow then I have faith and I trust that God is going to help me and it may not be exactly the way I want, but I've already got the idea that I, I want God to accomplish his purposes. And we have this question, do you, do you trust God enough to abandon your self-interest and depend on him in prayer? That's not to say we shouldn't pray for things for our own lives or for ourselves, we should. Or that we even, even that we don't pray, pray for deliverance. Paul prayed for deliverance, a physical deliverance. But we've got to settle the fact that we are going to him, wanting him to accomplish his purposes, and that we trust that he's going to do what he said, says he will do. Now, one practical way you can show your dependence on God in prayer, or even just showing your dependence on God generally, is by asking people to pray for you. Follow, follow the example of Paul. I think one way you can show that you depend on God is going to other people and asking them to pray for you. And of course, the flip side of that is take part in praying for others and being part of lightening the burden. But, but I think really one practical way, the main practical way here is just asking others to pray for you and asking people to pray for what's not going right. I meet with someone every week here in the church and regularly our conversation goes like this. Here's what's not right in my heart. Pray for me. One way to show that we depend on God and that we know that 
our very lives are dependent on God is we, we go to others and we say, pray for me. Here's what's not right. Or here's, what I, here's where I need help. So number one, the first area is prayer. Number two, we're not going to be able to spend much time on any of these, but uh, number two is advancing the gospel. Brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Okay, so the next, the next way we are totally dependent on God is the advancement of the gospel. Paul asked them to pray that the Lord would cause the gospel to speed ahead. Or while I read this, you heard me use the word run ahead. So we've got to get this sense of urgency here. Paul is rallying all the prayer warriors, and he's praying for the unimpeded success of the gospel wherever he's at. And the result of this, Paul's ultimate goal here is that the gospel would be honored or the gospel would be glorified. That as the gospel is received and believed, that in turn honors the gospel. It's magnified, it's lifted up, it's exalted. And Paul says that's what happened to the Thessalonians. Remember when he was there, this was, it was just quick work. Read that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, time and time again. Paul says the, the, the word came to you, you believed it as the word of God, and it, just, it rang out from you, and it just, it just blew up. The gospel had rapid, transforming results, and so he's praying, he's asking them to pray, may God do the same thing wherever I go, especially as he faces his own persecution. But Paul realizes that the success of our labors in preaching the gospel and the advancement of the gospel in this sort of, you know, you kind of get the picture of a, of a race, you know, something just speeding ahead, running ahead. All of this is totally dependent on God. And there's a verse in the Old Testament that kind of shares this same concept. It's Psalm chapter 147, verse 15, where God says, uh, where the psalmist says, God sends out his command to the earth, and there's the phrase, his word runs swiftly. The idea there that God is, is causing his word to run swiftly, and Paul is picking up on this imagery. He's asking that the gospel would cover a lot of ground real quick. I think that's a worthy prayer, but it's totally dependent on God. Now, if you're asking yourself, well, why doesn't God seem to be doing that right now among us, right here? I think we have to ask ourselves a couple questions. One, are we asking God for this? Are we asking God for this? Now, we know it's a worthy prayer to pray, but are we asking God for this? And the other question we need to ask is, are we putting any effort into this? Paul didn't sit down and say this. Paul is running. Paul always uses that racing metaphor. He's, he says, oh, I'm a runner. I'm running the race. And he's just asking that the gospel would run a little bit faster than he is and give him success. But he was putting in all that effort. Are we putting effort into this? Because the gospel spreads on the feet of those who bring good news. Our call is to have a sense of urgency about the advancement of the gospel. To pray as we labor in the field of unbelievers. That God would cause the gospel to speed ahead. We should ask for an unimpeded God intervening spread of the gospel. And Paul depended on the power of God to send his word out through the hearts of people. And here's one step, as we're talking about you know, the feet moving with the gospel, here's one step you could take in advancing the gospel. Get to know an unbelieving neighbor or coworker this week. Invite them over for dinner and board games. And just get to know them. Here's the third area we need to be dependent on God in. And that's facing persecution. Facing persecution. 
Paul says, he asks for prayer and he says, may the word of the Lord speed ahead and be honored as happened among you that we may, and also that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. Paul faced off with these wicked people. If we were back in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17 and you know, they, they ended up tossing him out of town. So Paul goes to Berea and those same persecutors from Thessalonica heard he was in Berea. So they went to Berea, kicked Paul out of town there. And now all those same persecutors are now around the church in Thessalonica. Paul is constantly facing off with wicked and evil opposers. And that's kind of the idea here is that we have these, we have these people who are actively malicious and act with hostile aggression towards the message and the messenger. And Paul is praying for safety. His main concern was spread of the gospel, but he often, he often prayed uh, and I called others to pray. Romans 15, he does the same in, in 1 Corinthians. He, he asked people for deliverance. I think it's because Paul knew that God is the rescuer of his people and that deliverance from persecution depended on God. And I think Paul also knew that he was not beyond the temptation to shrink back in the face of persecution. Paul was a human. And as much as he was willing to suffer for the gospel, I don't think Paul at all was always happy to go and face persecution. So he prayed for deliverance. He prayed that he wouldn't have to face these people. But he was willing to if that was God's will. And he says here, not all have faith. Okay, so this is, this is referring, this is why people hate the gospel. This is why people persecute Christians. Because they don't have faith. It's the reason wicked and evil men are actively hostile towards those who believe the gospel because they don't believe the gospel. The gospel always has widespread rejection. There will always be only a few who find the narrow road to salvation. And for us, we need God's help. We need to depend on God as we face persecution. It's here. It's in America. Maybe not to the degree that we see in other countries. But whatever degree of persecution, maybe it's a family member who continues to give you a hard time. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody who spreads misinformation about you or lies about you or tries to ruin your reputation. You know, whatever degree of persecution we face, we, we need God's help. And the reason we need God's help is because, you know, we know well enough that when we're faced with anybody who, you know, kind of comes after us, it's very easy to fall into fear or bitterness or apathy or even apostasy, anger. So Paul is asking for deliverance from those who seek to hinder the spread of the gospel and those who are seeking to silence those who proclaim it. But we always have to keep the perspective, as much as Paul asked for deliverance, keep the perspective that Paul had at the end of his life in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, where he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Because they can chain the messenger, but they can't chain the message. And often, the message spreads when the messengers are chained. Just to show you how much this depends on God. Let's keep moving. Number four. The fourth area we must totally depend on God is standing firm in the faith. Prayer, advancing the gospel, facing persecution, and standing firm in the faith. Now, Paul here in verse 3, again, it's that abrupt transition. Okay, so 
Paul goes, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you. So it's almost a little odd. We'd almost expect Paul to say, but the Lord is faithful, therefore the gospel is going to continue to spread, or God's going to give me strength to face these opposers. But instead, he just kind of turns it right back to, uh, to giving his attention to the church. And there's kind of a, a play on words here that kind of molds the two together. Not all have faith, but God is faithful. That's kind of the play on words. And then it's almost as if Paul says, well, not all have faith, but God is faithful. Hey, speaking of God being faithful... Here's what God's going to do for you. God is faithful. What is the faithfulness of God? What does it mean that God is faithful? Well, simply put, it means that God is who he says he is, and God will do what he says he will do. God will accomplish what he has purposed to accomplish. And because God is faithful, we have Two real assurances, and that's kind of, it's this point and the next point is we depend on God. And, you know, standing firm in our faith, we have the assurance that God will strengthen us. He'll establish us. That's what it means. Establish means to strengthen or to make firm. God's going to do that. Remember, Paul, Paul when he wrote to the Thessalonians in, in 1 Thessalonians, he said, he said, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. And when we were earlier in 2 Thessalonians, in chapter 2, Paul says, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. So we have a church here that's very shaken, very alarmed. They're being moved. And Paul is confident that, is, that it, it, I mean, depending on God, they will be strengthened, they will be fortified, they'll be established. They were shaken up. They were adopting improper theology. It led to improper living. And a firm faith, though, is dependent on the Lord Jesus. So we're totally dependent on God to strengthen us, to help us stand firm in our faith, to keep us from falling or anything like that. Uh, over Christmas, just, this, uh, just a few months ago, uh, at one of our family gatherings, we tried the Oculus Virtual Reality headset. And you may not be familiar with what that is, but it's these, this, the Oculus is big white goggles that you put on, and, and it takes you into a virtual world. And so uh, in this virtual world, we are all taking turns doing different things, and you stand in the middle of the living room, and, uh, and when it was my turn, uh, they, they put me on a, on a roller coaster. And as you're on this roller coaster with these goggles on, it's going up and it's going down and it's going left and it's going right. And you feel yourself start to move and a tip and try to keep your bearings as you're going along. And pretty soon, at least it was for me, I could feel myself getting pretty close to falling and as you're in this whole world of non-reality, and even though, even though there's, there's enough around you to keep you firm, but when you put on those goggles, you start to sway, and you start to get tipsy, and you start to waver. And then on top of that, my brother-in-law chose a haunted roller coaster, so not only was I wavering, I jumped. And had nightmares for weeks But we kind of got to get back to the reality of things, and that's what made, made me stand firm. And when it comes to the faithfulness of God, that, that is our reality. We stand in the reality that we belong to a faithful God. 
And we put on those virtual goggles to try to chase the amusement parks, if I could say that, of this world and try to find what this world may offer. We're going to start weaving and waving and faltering and falling. But we take our stand in the reality, reality of a real faithful God. And that's what allows us to stand firm in the faith. And this kind of leads into the next one, number five. Not only standing firm in the faith, but also fighting against the evil one. He says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you. He's going to strengthen you and guard you against the evil one. So some sort, this could be like a military image where Paul uh, you know, envisions soldiers with shields encircling the one being protected. It could carry the idea of a shepherd protecting his sheep. But either way, it's God protecting us from the evil one. What does this mean? Well, I think Paul is really expecting God, even though he doesn't mention it explicitly here, but there is a prayer of Jesus back in John chapter 17 that Paul is letting us know that God is going to answer. Jesus says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you, ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That's Jesus' prayer. So it has the idea that God is going to protect us in such a way that we're not going to forfeit ourselves to Satan, to the evil one, to the devil. We're going to continue in the faith. As we're going to sing a closing song, He Will Hold Me Fast. It's the, it's the promise on the faithfulness of God that God's not going to allow us to jump to the other side, so to speak. He's not going to lose us. As a matter of fact, as, as we looked at a couple weeks ago in, in the book of 1 John, remember, those, those who go out from us, Paul, John says, never really belong to us. But if you belong to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are secure forever, protected. God's not going to lose you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 7 through 9 carry all these same sort of concepts uh, linked together as Paul writes about our adversary, the devil. Where Paul says, cast your anxieties on him. There's our dependable God. Because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil. There's the fight. There's the struggle. He's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. There's the same three concepts we see here. With Paul saying, God's going to establish you, and he's going to guard you. Your God, your enemy your faith, but through it all, God protecting you as the enemy engages you. God will not lose any of his children to the devil, and we are dependent fully on God keeping us. And as this plays out in life, and even, you know, even thinking through that First Peter passage, as this plays out in life, I think real practically, just take our anxieties as an example we could choose not to be ruled by our anxieties and instead rest in the faithfulness of God, instead depend on God. We know God is going to keep us from the evil one, okay, that God is not going to hand us over. God is not going to lose us. But in the day-to-day practical side of life, being totally secure from the evil one, yet we still face temptations, we still face those troubles that Satan will bring into our lives through temptation in our own flesh, working with those temptations. And if we just went to that first Peter passage, we can say, we can just don't be ruled by our anxieties. Well, how does that happen? 
We have to depend on God and not on our feelings. We often don't feel like depending on God in temptation and trials. But we must choose to. And that choosing comes from knowing that God cares for us. Knowing that God is faithful. That God will not forfeit me to the enemy. That I'm his forever. That's where that sort of dependence on God comes from. Knowing and basing our lives based on what we know, not on what we feel. Okay, number six. Number six. Exhorting other Christians. We, we are fully dependent on God as we exhort other Christians. Prayer, advancing the gospel, facing persecution, standing firm in the faith, being protected from the evil one, and exhorting other Christians. So again, Paul is beginning to move towards the final part of this letter, and he's, he's really going to lay into something uh, here soon as we'll get into next week. There was a sin that permeated the church, and Paul is going to confront it head on. And he's going to say some pretty strong words to this church over it. But yet Paul is confident that what he commands is actually going to happen. He's confident that whatever he commands will actually happen. And it's not because the Thessalonians are great, but because God, again, is faithful. He makes his exhortations dependent on the Lord's work in the lives of the followers of Jesus. And Paul here, he, if you look at verse 4, he says, We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing. So he acknowledges that they are obeying in many ways. And he's kind of using that to kind of lift their spirits and encourage them to continue to do so. So he says that you, you are doing and you will do the things that we command. Confidence in the Lord. That the Lord was working in them. That, that, that through their dependence on God and he's depending on God for their spiritual walk. That he was affirming that the Lord was with them and was going to help them. And he was acknowledging that they were going to obey uh, what's, what's coming next. He acknowledges the Lord is with them. I mean, how else could they make it through threats of false teaching, persistent persecution, and sin within the church? I mean, Paul looked at this church and said, God is with those people. They showed evidence of it by their endurance that God gave the perseverance that God gave to them. So that gave them confidence to exhort them in the Lord. Because they were already obeying and because God had already showed evidence of his work in their lives. Now, let's just think about exhorting one another here, 2022. When we exhort one another, we are depending on on the Lord's work in their lives. If I, if, I, if I exhort any Christian, I'm depending on the fact that if they say they're a Christian, the Holy Spirit's within them, and they will want, maybe if not at first or initially, they will respond with humility and receptivity when a sin is addressed in their lives. That should be the same for me. Anybody who comes to me, though oftentimes my first response when somebody calls out a wrong to me is not always you know, that cheerful and that loving, but nonetheless, the idea is that if the Holy Spirit is within us, there will be a response to that, a positive response, a humble response. So ask yourself the question, is how I respond, is how we respond right now to God's command, does that give confidence that we're ready for someone to come and give us some more? Or confront us? So Paul's confidence here is that there's going to be moral progress for some and complete change for others, which ties into the last verse, verse 5, as we look at our seventh area in which we need to be fully dependent on God, and that is imitating God, imitating God. Notice what he says, may the Lord 
direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now, in a world of follow your heart, in a world of follow your heart, Paul is asking God to direct their hearts. He's not even asking them to direct your heart. He's not even saying, hey, you need to take hold of your heart and you need, you need to direct. He's saying, no, you let God direct your heart. The heart is our inner being, our true self, the very center of our lives. He, Paul here is talking about the moral center of our, of our very being for the Christian. And there's two aspects Paul is praying for. First, he's praying that they would direct their hearts to the love of God, or that God would direct their hearts to the love of God. Now, the question is, is this our love to God? Is this God's love for us? What is this? Is it, is, it the, is it the love that we're supposed to show others because God is love? And I think certainly it's a mixture of all those things, but I think really what he's getting to is that Paul is asking them to love as God loves. And same with the perseverance of Christ. Again, is this the perseverance Christ gives? Is it the perseverance that Christ demonstrated? Is it our perseverance for Christ? But again, I think very simply, Paul is asking them to persevere as Christ persevered. To love as God loved, to persevere as Christ persevered, persevere as Christ persevered, we are to be imitators of our Lord Jesus. So I, I finished studying for this sermon, and I got my outline all planned out, ready to go. It's the outline we just looked at. But then it happened. I came face to face with something one of the greatest preachers of recent history said. And it was Charles Spurgeon. Here's what Spurgeon says. Never preach on too many sins or they'll hide behind the one they're not committing. And I had just laid out a seven-point outline about seven areas we're supposed to depend on God in seven ways we fail. And there's Spurgeon. Don't preach that sermon, Pastor Zach. Because they're just going to pick the one they're doing really good at and they'll hide behind that one. I felt like Wile E. Coyote, you know, when he's got, that, he's got the rocket set up and he's getting ready. I hope that makes sense for some of the younger generation. It's an old cartoon. Wile E. Coyote, he sets the rocket up. He's getting ready to launch it at Roadrunner and he lights it and it just blows up in his face. There goes that outline. But let's put those seven up there. Because after someone brought this, someone else brought this quote to my attention, I thought to myself, Spurgeon's quote is the perfect illustration. It's the perfect illustration of why we have so much problems depending on God for everything. Isn't it the perfect way to end how we started and this whole message of depending on God, our tendency is independency. Isn't Spurgeon identifying one of the biggest hindrances to our dependence on God? That's our own self-dependence. We look at this list and we find the one we're doing pretty good at and that's where we sit. And we hide. I've got pretty good prayer life. Nah, not advancing the gospel. I don't face persecution well. Not standing from, eh, not really fighting. Eh, don't, eh. But hey, prayer's good. That's where I'll sit for this morning's message. So what I'm asking you to do is come out from hiding and not 
sit on the one you think you're doing pretty good at. Because in reality, you may not be all too good at that one either. I need to come out from hiding. And we need to confess our independence and our self-sufficiency. I'm asking you, I'm asking all of us to come out from hiding and to depend on our God, to deepen our dependence on God, to allow dependence on God to permeate all seven areas, plus more we can find in Scripture, of course. I'm telling you that you can continue to hide behind whatever it is you think you got in the bag or you can continue to convince yourself that partial dependence is good enough but that'll never lead to a fully, truly fruitful Christian life. The wonderful thing about all this is that Jesus is a very present help in trouble. A present help when we're hiding. He's present there with us as we hide from him behind something we think is good enough. He's not running away. He's not snuffing his nose. But Jesus is there with us. And he's just calling us out from hiding and saying, I'm here for you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you, even in your stubbornness, even in your self-sufficiency. But when you realize and you want to lean on me, and to rest in me, and to take my yoke and my burden upon you, I'm here for you. Even as a Christian who decides not to depend on him, his promises, he is faithful, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. But this morning, there may be some of you who aren't depending on Jesus in the greatest way, if we could put it that way, and that is to be saved from your sin. That as we have mentioned out here before, that maybe you're hiding behind religion, but you're not truly a Christian. Maybe you're hiding behind church membership or church attendance. Maybe you're hiding behind a baptism or communion or you're, you're, you're hiding behind just some religious thing or being part of a Christian family. And you're hiding, but you're not truly a follower of Jesus. You've never really placed your faith in him. The call for you is there as well. Jesus is a very present help in trouble for sinners who need a savior. It's time to come out from hiding. He will accept you, he will forgive you when you place your faith in him. We all need to come out from hiding. We all need to rely and depend on our faithful God through the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd call us out from the hiding out from the, you know, whenever we hit that one point where our conscience finally settled down. We decided just to stay there, Lord, just in my own heart, I do that. So prone to do that. So prone to just sit in the the comfort. But Lord, help us to ever lean on our Lord Jesus and depend on you wholly. In Jesus' name, amen.